Join the only roundtable podcast in compliance with five of the top commentators in compliance. Check out the rants and shout out at the end of each episode. Hosted by Tom Fox, the voice of compliance. Everything Compliance is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Everything Compliance is now the award-winning Everything Compliance, having won the top talk show in podcasting award by W3. In this episode, we have the quartet of Jonathan Armstrong, Jonathan Marks, Matt Kelly, and Jay Rosen. We take things in a little bit different direction today as we have a full shout-out and rant episode. So our panelists will be giving some of their favorite shout-outs and rants and tying those to lessons learned for the compliance professional. We, of course, end with regular shout-outs and rants. All this, shout-outs and rants, and more on this episode of Everything Compliance. Before we get to today's episode, we're going to have a quick word from our sponsor. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and welcome to a special live edition of Everything Compliance. It's special for another reason, because today is all shout-outs and rants. Yes, our panel will give their favorite shout-outs and rants or new ones that uh, they've been mulling over this summer. So we're going to get right to it, and we're going to go from east to west. Jonathan Armstrong, Matt Kelly, Jonathan Marks, Jay Rosen. So, Mr. Armstrong, do you have a lengthy shout out or rant for us for this special episode. I have a sort of a shout out and a rant at the same time. My shout out is to Mr. Justice Waxman and in part for producing this, if you can see it. This mighty tome is the judgment in the ENRC Decker, uh, Neil Gerard SFO judgment. And it's, it comes in at a mighty 1,744 paragraphs of the judgment. Now, I won't pretend to have read all of it. That's obviously what vacations are for. But I have got some of the highlights of it here. The case, for those of you who aren't familiar, concerns ENRC, which was a mining company. And in very simple terms, they knocked on the door of a lawyer called Neil Gerard. He was then at DLA and he moved to Deckert. And as he moved to Deckert with this piece of work, then it seems to have expanded. Now, some cynics may have said the way in which U.S. law firms hire individuals based on a book of business is not unrelated to the fact that the investigation expanded somewhat. And effectively, he was given a rather narrow brief to look into possible issues with contracts, and he expanded that brief to be somewhat wider. And when eventually the company resisted and said that they wanted to focus on the original brief for the investigation. He went along and spoke to the Serious Fraud Office and shared information 
with them about his discoveries, effectively to increase the ante to make his client take it more seriously. And at the same time, he also spoke to journalists as well and leaked information from the investigation, which was, of course, the client's property and an investigation that he was engaged by the client to do to the price. And as a result, the situation got obviously worse for ENRC, and they are claiming £26 million in damages for the actions of Gerard and Deckard. Now, and Deckard were represented by the same legal team right up to June 2022, but have now parted ways, and Gerard is separately represented. Deckard have agreed to a payment of £20 million on account to ENRC, and it's thought that the costs in this claim could exceed £50 million. So it's fair to say, as an understatement, that this is an investigation gone wrong. Mr Justice Waxman said in his judgment, the lawyer involved was negligent and for the most part reckless, which is never something that you want to put on your law directory testimonials, is it? And the serious fraud office also, there's going to be another hearing to look at these matters in more detail, because clearly this isn't detail enough. But the serious fraud office, I think, also have questions to answer. They, the court found, effectively induced Mr. Gerard Andor Deckert to break their relationship with their client by the handing over of this information. A pretty serious case, one that obviously the judge has taken some time and effort to get to the bottom of, but one that will have serious ramifications, I think, for not only for lawyers, but for compliance professionals as well. There are quick lessons to be learned. They shouldn't need to be learned. But first of all, when you're doing an internal investigation, you need to have a plan. You can't just free roam around the planes and pick up different things to investigate because they look shiny and sparkling. You have to have a clear direction. What is it that we're trying to investigate? And what are the facts around that investigation? I'm not saying that you shouldn't be curious as to other wrongdoing when you're, using it, when you're doing an investigation, but you can't lose focus. It's always tempting in investigations to go off and follow this lead and that lead. A little bit, I don't know, surfing the internet on a Friday night when you can go off down wild blind alleys and wonder, I don't know, whether Paul Weller's daughter really does have a chance of making a hit record. So you can go off on these blind alleys in investigations, but focus is important. And obviously, you need to pick a lawyer that believes in doing the right thing for his clients. And of course, there's quite often a tension between if you like, the commercial aspects of running a law firm and the professional aspects. But a bit like doctors and the Hippocratic Oath, when we were called to the bar, 
we took that oath that we would put the court's interests first and clients' interests ahead of our own. And if lawyers are prepared not to follow that, then there will inevitably be consequences, not only for them, but for the profession as a whole. So I'm not sure if that's good enough to get us started, Tom, or if you want me to move on to something else. It's certainly good enough to get started, but could you say a few words about the potential consequences to Gerard Deckert and or the serious fraud office, the office that may be in the offing? Yes, in the in the di situation is different in other parts of the UK, but in England and Wales, solicitors are represent are regulated by the RA, and in serious cases, the judge can refer a solicitor's conduct to the SRA, so the judge himself or herself can do that. And this is what is heading its way to Birmingham for the SRA to look at. The judge has already referred the case to the SRA, and he said specifically that's about conduct, not about Deckert's conduct. It will take some time for the SRA to read and digest this judgment, but I would have thought it's fairly inevitable that there will be an SRA investigation, and then they're likely to refer the matter to the Solicitor's Disciplinary Tribunal, which is a sort of independent tribunal, which will decide whether or not Mr. Gerard is to remain on the roll. He has hired from Deckert. He may voluntarily throw in his practicing certificate, but I think it's inevitable that the SRA will want to look at this. And there could, of course, be professional implications for some of those people involved. And for the SFO? For the SFO, I think it's unfortunately another tale of woe. They have lost more cases than they have won recently. It's not all doom and gloom. They've had a good win in a scheme that involved overseas investment recently. Uh, but they have, as I say, lost more than they've won. They have had a tribunal case that we've talked about on these podcasts uh, before involving the dismissal of a case handler. They have had some criticism from some independent inquiries into their operation. And as I said on these podcasts before, I think under a different administration, it might be, there might be a tap on the shoulder of the director from somebody in government suggesting that it was time to move on. One can speculate why Johnson lame duck administration that has various allegations of corruption against members of government would want a neutered to continue to be neutered. I'm sure our listeners will have their own views on that. But my suggestion would be that as soon as we have a competent administration, then questions will be asked about the role of the director. I hasten to add, I don't think this is at her door at all. This is well before her time. And it's the director before her predecessor that will face the most criticism, I think, in this debacle. So do you have another one for us or are we ready to move across the pond? Let's move across the pond, shall we? Because I've probably hogged my time. 
And the only other alternative I have would be to rant against Boris Johnson. And I think people have heard that enough now. You can't get enough of ranting against Boris Johnson. But <laughs> Matt Kelly, do you have a rant and or shout out for us? Yeah, Tom, I have a rant, except this is a very sad Tragic rant. This isn't going to be at all. But my rant is about some listeners here may already be familiar with this story that was used at the beginning of the year. The case of a seven-year-old girl, Harmony Montgomery, who was originally from Massachusetts and then moved to New Hampshire and had been missing and gone unnoticed since 2019 through December of 2021. She was basically fell through the cracks and nobody noticed her for two years, more than two years, while she was living under terrible abusive conditions with her father. And the reason nobody paid much attention to what was happening to Harmony Montgomery is because they were not listening to her mother, a woman named Crystal Sori, who was running around for months and months on end trying to find anybody who would listen to her that my daughter is in danger, my daughter is being abused, her life is at risk, and nobody's seen her. And nobody listened to Crystal Sori because she was a drug-addled homeless junkie. But she was correct. And I am ranting about that now because, as unfortunately, New Hampshire police have now confirmed the nightmare that everybody has already been suspecting in New England for months on end. Harmony Montgomery is dead. We don't know exactly how she died, but the police have not described that yet. I said that they found her body forward and say they now have forensic evidence to know without a doubt that Haley Montgomery or Harmony Montgomery, she died because nobody in the system, not the school districts, not the police, not elected officials, not child services, nobody bothered to listen to the whistleblower in this case because the whistleblower didn't look like a nice whistleblower. The whistleblower looked like a total mess because she was a mess. And I don't think Crystal Story would object to being characterized like that. She had many run-ins with the law. She was homeless. She had a drug addiction problem, and she's already spoken out about that. But the lesson here for all of us that just makes me want to pull my hair out is that we really need to just work so hard at listening to any whistleblower who comes along, even when they don't fit the profile, because she didn't. And so nobody took her seriously until she finally, by some stroke of luck, had a city official in Manchester, New Hampshire, start to realize this woman might be serious. This woman is going to start talking to the media. We have to find her. And then they scrambled. And then suddenly police realized we have no idea where this girl has been for two years. And this is an awful story. Good about this. This girl had just a terrible life from birth until death, which came when she was seven. Because collectively, we, the adults, we screwed it up because listening to her mother. As people might guess, I could probably rant about this for the rest of the day. As a Massachusetts resident, we here in Massachusetts, in New Hampshire, we should hang our heads in shame that we messed this up and now an innocent girl is dead for no good reason because we did not hard enough at the listening part of people speaking up. And that's that's all I'm going to start with today. Maybe there'll be other stuff I could rant or shout out later on in the hour but tom then just the other week and it makes me so angry that we screwed that up mr marks do you have a comment or question for matt you're on mute matt i've been following that story as well it makes me absolutely sick that happened i think there's a lot of lessons to be learned here if you transcend this in the corporate world 
I think a lot of that goes on there too. You have people that are coming forward and making allegations and people poo them because of their their position within the company, the fact that somebody may have complained that their music's playing too loud in their cube or whatever. And I think we need to take a step back and really understand the messaging that's being delivered and really take every single one of those things seriously until there's evidence to show otherwise. And I think in this case, that's a perfect example of that. I've often thought about how we all get plenty of whistleblower reports and some of them come from employees or third parties who might legitimately seem crazy and they're wearing the tinfoil hats and whatnot. And some of them, most of the tinfoil hat crowd are crazy and their accusations are baseless, but you every single time. And if people don't want to do that, do something else, because that's the job if you are running an internal reporting hotline. And this is just a terrible reminder what happens when we get that part of the job wrong. And that's all I'll say. Yeah. All right. Jonathan Marks, what do you have for us? Since we're about a week late on rants, I did have props for the session, but unfortunately I don't have them today. But my rant is called Half Scoop. And for those of you that ever ordered a chicken burrito bowl at this place called Chipotle, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. And it goes like this. If you walk into the restaurant and you order a chicken burrito bowl, you're probably going to get a full portion. But odds are, if you order it over online or some other way and go pick it up, you're going to get a half scoop. And so I saw this. I've been complaining about this for years. And then recently I saw a story on social media and I didn't believe it, that some, this was happening to somebody else. I just thought it was my bad luck. So as all good investigators do, I walked in and I ordered a chicken burrito bowl with all of my favorite trimmings. And then I went outside and I went onto the app and I ordered it and went, and went in and picked it up in the bag that they had on the shelf. And I opened the two up and sure enough, the one that I had they ordered from inside was much more robust and fulsome than the one that I ordered online. And if you look at Chipotle's profits or their revenue, I think they're about $7.8 billion in revenue. And you look at all the rumblings about what's going on and all the pressures of the employees to basically trim down on, 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 on proteins and things like that in order to save money. It's, a, it's no wonder that this is going on. So my rant is to Chipotle, even though I love your food, you're ripping us off. So get with the program and do what's right. Make sure that those orders are as robust online as they are if I walk into your store. Mr. Armstrong, do you have a comment and or question for Mr. Marks? I was just going to say thank you for your service in, in, in eating two burritos for the public good. They were chicken bowls, just for the record. Jay Rosen, sitting out in the West Coast in sunny, it never rains in Southern California. You have a shout out and or rant for us. Yeah, I've got a few little ones that I put together. We'll go from politics to sports. First nugget comes from Dana Milbank, who's a columnist with the Washington Post. There's a bitter irony in Liz Cheney's fall. She was undone by the very politics her father championed, weaponizing patriotism, abandoning the truth. Vice President Dick Cheney was a pioneer in all these things. In his new book, The Destructionist, 25 years of crack up of the Republican Party, Milbank traced the actions of GOP leaders who essentially created the Trump era by removing the guardrails of our political system. And Dick Cheney was one such leader. Using disinformation and patriotism as political weapons spread through the Republican Party and consumed it utterly with Trump's triumph. 
Too late, Liz Cheney bravely stood against both, and she's now on the verge of political exile, considering the final act, Dick Cheney returned, filming an ad for his daughter. In our nation's 246-year history, there's never been an individual who was a greater threat to our republic than Donald Trump, said the elder Cheney. He's a coward. A real man wouldn't lie to his supporters. No, he wouldn't. All our Greek tragedy needs now is the catharsis, a glimmer of self-awareness from Dick Cheney about his, the, his role in causing this. Next up, going to take a look at the NFL and Roger Goodell. Is Commissioner Goodell trying to save his legacy by following the lead of former Trump officials who finally jumped off the sinking ship post-January 6th? Three recent events seem to indicate this. First off, Miami Dolphins owner and real estate developer Stephen Ross has been fined $1.5 million and suspended from participating in team events and operations through October 17th after the club was found to have violated NFL tampering policies. The Dolphins will also forfeit the team's first-round pick in 2023 and third-round pick in 2024. Disciplinary officer Sue L. Robinson issued a six-game suspension for Deshaun Watson on August 1st. Robinson wrote that Watson engaged in sexual assault, conduct that possesses a genuine danger to the safety and well-being of another person, and conduct that undermines or puts at risk the entire integrity of the NFL. Robinson, however, noted that she was, quote, bound, unquote, by standards of fairness and consistency of a treatment of players similarly situated in her decision for a six-game suspension, despite the fact that Goodell and the NFL were seeking a year-long ban. Well, we got our answer yesterday. The NFL and the NFL Players Association reached a settlement in the Deshaun Watson disciplinary matter, agreeing that Cleveland Browns quarterback will serve an 11-game suspension without pay after he was accused by more than two, two dozen women of sexual misconduct. Watson will also pay a fine of $5 million and undergo mandatory evaluation by behavioral experts and follow their suggested treatment program. Watson's fine and contributions from both the NFL and Browns of a million each will create a fund to support nonprofit organizations in the U.S. that educate young people on healthy relationships, promote education and prevention of sexual misconduct and assault, support survivors-related causes, said the NFL in their settlement. And number three, the Washington Commander's owner, Daniel Snyder, continues to be the uh, continues to own the team despite numerous sexual harassment allegations against the team and Snyder. In the 16 years of Commissioner Goodell's leadership, the NFL continues to air its dirty laundry in public. While transparency is a good thing, is it enough progress being made to rehabilitate the commissioner and the league's reputation? And finally, here's a good shout out. This is about Little League sportsmanship. And I don't know if you caught this article last week, but right-hander Caden Shelton of Perlin, Texas, was facing a batter from the other team, Isaiah Jarvis from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Tuesday, when an 0-2 pitch got away from him and slammed into Jarvis's helmet, Jarvis fell to the ground, clutching his head as the concerned coaches ran to his side. After a few moments, Jarvis's head cleared enough for him to walk unaided the first base. 
Meanwhile, the pitcher stood on the mound, staring at the ground in tears over what he had done to his competitor. After a moment, Jarvis walked over to the mound, put his arm around Sheldon, telling him, hey, you're doing great, let's go. And Shelton's teammates and coaches gathered around the pier to join in consoling the young righty. This gesture drew a standing ovation as Perlin, Perlin went on to beat Tulsa 9-4 and advanced to the Little League World Series Championship in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. So I'll end on a good note there, guys. That was a great story. It's a great video. If you haven't seen it on Twitter, look for it. It's very powerful and we can all learn from it. Gentlemen, with that, I'm going to ask you if you have a current shout out and or rant that you'd like to end with. And we'll take the same order again, starting with Mr. Armstrong. I'm going to shout out to cookie claimants. Now, what do I mean by that? In the UK, there's a cottage industry has grown up. There are many complaints about the use of cookies on websites. And we started off with one enterprising individual writing to hundreds of organizations demanding a payment because of his fear that cookies were being used to share his browsing habits with the US security services. And he effectively said that he would somehow get over his concerns about being lied on by the US security services for £750 in cash. And we then saw almost identical letters from a, another individual who had been connected with all sorts of claims before for financial products, mis-selling and so on. And then this week, I've seen my first letter from yet another cookie claimant following the same model. Now, traditionally, of course, people slow down in the summer, but not cookie claimants. So well done for their forward working right through the summer vacation to make sure that there is no ambulance yet unchased. Mr. Kelly, how are you going to top that one? I have two items I'm going to try and sneak in. One, very quickly, a mini rant against Republicans in Congress about the search warrant executed at mar a a kick out of Republicans demanding to see the affidavit that led to the authorization. A, that, guys, this should not be done. We should not be releasing warrants or affidavits until there's an actual charging statement or indictment. But B, Republicans had said, we want to see that, and maybe if we can't see it released, maybe we should have it make confidential thing. And clearly, since your, your leader is so cavalier, confidentiality. I don't even know what a Republican is for Republicans. Could be like the parking lot in a Shoney's off of I-4 down in Florida, maybe. No. On a Four Seasons no. Garden Center, maybe. Potentially. But actually, I give more of a shout out, also in the political realm, to John Fetterman, the Democratic candidate for Pennsylvania Senate, not necessarily because I do or do and don't endorse him, and I am not endorsing him. I just want to say he's got showing down this year. His campaigning style is hilarious, and, and case in point is this mess that uh, Dr. Oz stepped in with the crudite scandal. He went around the or the supermarket that I actually think is named Wegner's, but made that entire big hat of 
what is or isn't crude. And Fetterman jumped on it with this working class hero angle that really resonates. I have to admit, I myself, until the, I always thought crudite was some kind of cheese plant, so I didn't know what crudite was. B, who actually puts asparagus and together like Dr. Oz did? C, just Fetterman roasting him, so to speak, on Twitter and online about how he's out of touch, could have just bought a veggie and cheese dip uh, or a veggie dip platter that Wagner's actually sells for seven. Ninety-nine, according to Wagner's himself. But I think that the way Fetterman just has got this working class thing down pat, I don't know if he is or isn't a working class hero in Pennsylvania. Looks the part, to talk the part, seems to have everything down, down pat to sell it. A uh, way that he is masterful, Dr. Oz, as, as this carpetbagger, wealthy, clueless fool from New Jersey can't even put together a veggie plate. Bravo, man. This is how you actually make pro politics interesting to watch. So like I said, I think Fetterman has got the best show going. And uh, you know what politics is about. It's about selling a message that resonates with the voters. And certainly Oz doesn't have it. Fetterman does. All right. Mr. Marks, you have something about Philly sports or you want to take a pass? Me? Yeah, Philly you. Sports. No, I got I a rant and a shout out. Real quick. All right. So, by, by the way, Stephen Van Zandt also is all over Dr. Oz. He said, come home to New Jersey where you belong. So it's funny as to what's going on. I don't know if you've seen those commercials, but they're playing. I don't know if you want to come home to New Jersey or not. I live here, but whatever. Anyway, my, I, have, my, I have a rant that I've been ranting about for years and years. And this is, I think you guys will pick up on this pretty quickly. I think the audience will pick up on it pretty quickly. I applauded Gensler, I think, a couple of weeks ago for his ability to try to do something more with Sarbanes-Oxley. So if we're going to get that specific, I'm going to start to rant. Section 307, up the ladder reporting, noisy withdrawals. If you're going to let the lawyers get the hell out of there and say something, please add the chief compliance officers and the chief audit executives. Make it an 8K event, please, so everybody knows who's investing in the company that there's really bad stuff going on. If in all your enforcement releases that you write and you talk about control environment, internal controls, and hallmarks of a great compliance program, but yet, if the compliance program, if the compliance officer silently leaves the organization for whatever reason, or the director of internal audit silently leaves the organization for some unknown reason, don't you think the investor should know about that? Shouldn't there be some more digging there? I think so. So I'm ranting right now. Rewrite the damn thing. Thank you. Second thing hey, is, I don't know who I saw this week, but there's this kid at Stanford who made 110 million bucks by buying Bed Bath and Beyond. Jake Friedman. Congratulations. I can't wait for the SEC investigation. I'm out. Jay Rosen. I'm going to I'm going to keep my chips for the next round and send it to Tom Fox, the drink, the straw that stirs the drink. So what's in your mind, Tom? Then you're the last person because this is the last round after me. I am going to give a cautionary tale. And the cost first I'm going to start out with a shout out to Tim Hartford who has the podcast Cautionary Tales, for which I purloined the title of my shout-out and or rant. And my cautionary tale is a cautionary tale of corporate governance. It's around the formerly beloved Texas institution, now known as Bluebell Ice Cream. In 2015, Bluebell Ice Cream had a listeria outbreak. They didn't tell anybody about it. 
the state found out about it, the feds found out about it, and then they made Bluebell tell everybody about it, kicking and screaming. As you might guess, this led to an investigation and a fine and penalty. It also led to some very catastrophic consequences for the company. Uh, first of all, the company lost so much money because they had to shut down all of their processing plants for so long that they ended up having to basically sell themselves to private equity. They created an adjunct to a corporate governance doctrine called the Caremark Doctrine, which says if you're a food product company, you damn well better have a food product risk management committee at the board level and actually monitoring that issue if you're a food product company. But it didn't end there because the private equity company eventually forced the grandson of the founder of Bluebell Ice Cream, grandson being Paul Cruz, out. So he loses his position as CEO. He loses his position as the board. Bluebell is now perceived to have a very much less flavorful taste and their sales are actually have gone down and probably because as private equity does they tend to cut back on extravagant spending of things like top level ingredients for ice cream so the company extraordinarily tarnished reputation but it doesn't end there because this month Paul Cruz went to trial individually on criminal charges by the federal government for releasing information about the Listeria outbreak way back in 2015. Now, my shout out goes to Chris Flood, the defense lawyer who didn't exactly get him off the hook, but had a 10 to 2 in his favor mistrial for acquittal. So shout out to Chris, a longtime friend. So Mr. Cruz escaped a criminal sentence of up to 20 years. But his actions and the poor corporate governance back in 2015 have essentially changed and wrecked Bluebell as an institution in the state of Texas and as the number three ice cream maker in the United States. So for those of you who don't think corporate governance matters, corporate governance does matter. And it matters at the board level. It matters in your policies and procedures. It matters in your whistleblowers. And it matters on how you, as Mr. Marks continually reminds us, triage a whistleblower complaint and then investigate it and then remediate it after investigation. So all of the things we talked about today in this shout outs and Rant's edition of Everything Compliance, in terms of our lessons learned, it seemed to me to be crystallized with Bluebell ice cream. So that's my cautionary tale. Shout out to Tim Harford for the Cautionary Tales podcast. It's great if you've never listened to it. And uh, Mr. Rosen, have you been now able to formulate your shout out and ending rant and taking us home batting clean up today? All right. It's a lot of pressure on me. <clears throat> Looks like the result could be the same result that ESPN just had. They lost college football rights to a consortium of Fox, of NBC, and CBS. And of course, some of this won't take effect into 2023, but it's sometimes good to see a big guy get kicked in the nuts every once in a while. Get an ice pack in Connecticut and you can take it on. That may be the greatest ending 
I'm not sure if that's a shout out or a rant, but the greatest ender of any of our episodes. So perhaps it's a good thing Karen Woody wasn't with us today. Gentlemen, that was great. Thanks to everybody for putting the time and effort in. And I can't wait to see what we come up with next time. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you so much for listening to this special episode of Everything Compliant. We're going to return the first week in September with the full gang back for our fall season. I know you'll enjoy it. I hope you'll check out the next episode of Everything Compliance, which should premiere the first week in September. If you haven't listened to uh, several of the new special podcasts out on the Compliance Podcast Network, I'd ask you to, to take a listen. Under the Greetings and Felicitations podcast, I had two really fun week-long series. The first one was the 100th anniversary of Ulysses, and the second was the intersection of compliance and Winnie the Pooh. So check out one or both of those podcasts if you want to maybe think about taking your program in a different direction through storytelling. Also, check out the podcast on uh, how the world has changed forever uh, after the Russian invasion of the Ukraine in business on the podcast Never the Same, where I feature Brandon Daniels from Exeter. Thanks for listening. We look forward to visiting with you again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.